the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is State Planning Attorney Bob Berman broadcasting from my office in San Jose, California. For those of you familiar with San Jose, my office is near Hillsdale and Camden Avenue in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. It's uh, good to be on the air uh, today. I want to let you all know in advance, I will not be broadcasting live next Friday Uh, At that time, I will be down in San Diego, uh, down in San Diego with my family. We're taking a little trip out of the area for a few days just so we can uh, experience at least some semblance of a vacation in this uh, season. We've already lost two vacations that we had scheduled um, because of this, one to New York City and one to Disneyland. We do plan on visiting downtown Disney on the way down, um, just to kind of step in and see that. Uh, We're going to probably stop at uh, Legoland, even though my kids are older now, because they're doing a special down there where you can actually go in and at least view the many cities that they have there. Uh, New York, uh, New Orleans, they got Washington, D.C., and Las Vegas. Um, and it's a very reasonable price to get in. All you have to do is basically purchase $25 worth of items in their big Lego store, which will be no problem. I have a daughter that loves Lego. She's very, very good at building things. And uh, we're going to go there, and then we're probably going to go to the zoo, and then maybe to the safari park, and then wander around Old Down in San Diego. So if you're familiar with San Diego, we're going to be down there for a few days just trying to unwind and decompress from the last four months of being uh, kind of shut down in our county here in Santa Clara. If you'd like to call in and ask questions on the show today, you can call in to 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. You can also, if you like, email me at radio at lawbob.com. If you would prefer just sending me an email question, I'm happy uh, to look at those and answer as many of those on the air as I can, especially if they're questions that are likely to have uh, a broader reach in the audience. I would like to uh, now start with the usual approach I take for this show, which is to go with a number of questions and comments from around the state of California. And I'm going to start with one out of, let me just take a look here. 
one out of um, <clears throat> oh one out of um, one out of my county actually out of Sunnyvale. Question: uh, the last parent of um, the last parent of a successor trustee just died, leaving the house in trust to a child and grandchildren um, at the 65th birthday of the child. The successor trustee, the child, can live in the house as long as he wants. Does the successor trustee need liability insurance? Well, first of all, any property should have liability insurance, um, you know, whether um, whether you're living in it or not, it should have liability insurance. If someone is living in the house because they are given the right to live in that house, then any liability insurance covering the property, if it's being held in a trust, should be in favor of the trust itself. If there's someone who is entitled to live in the property, much like a tenant, they should have their own insurance, at least to cover their um, their own personal possessions because, um, first of all, the, the policy of a landlord, for example, will not protect your property if you are a tenant. You have to get your own renter's insurance to cover your personal property. Um, the only thing that's going to be covered uh, if there's a fire or damage or something like that would be any personal property belonging to the landlord which could include things like refrigerators, stoves, um, maybe furniture if it's furnished, but your own personal property would not be covered. So I think, yeah, if you're going to live in a property where you're given the right to live there, you should have your own insurance in the process. Okay, now here's a question coming out of Modesto. And the question goes something like this. Um... I want to make my friend the beneficiary of a payable on death bank account, but I don't know how she would even know of her inheritance. Am I supposed to hire someone to notify her of the account after my death? If so, could I also have that person get a certified copy of my death certificate and submit it to the bank so all my friend would have to do in order to claim it is present identification at the bank? Also, I know her by her maiden name, which is what I would list as the beneficiary, but would an issue arise if her name changed? In other words, if she got married, for example, and changed her name. Well, first of all, there is there is no way to just notify somebody that they are the pay-on-death beneficiary of an account. Um, if you have things like life insurance, <clears throat> life insurance, retirement plans, they might ask for contact information for any beneficiary that you've named so that, for example, in the case of life insurance, so that they could actually send off a notice to the person named. That, of course, doesn't mean that they have current information because someone could easily have moved since the time you provided that information to uh, an insurance company or the custodian of a retirement plan. Uh, generally, what I recommend people do is um, make sure that whoever is named as the pay-on-death beneficiary knows that they're named that way and make sure you keep in touch with that person so that they're likely to know uh, if and when you pass away before they do. Uh, yes, as far as a certified copy of your death certificate, um, 
you'd have to arrange that with whoever's handling your estate. Uh, maybe make a request in there that a certified copy be obtained and then sent to this person that is named as the beneficiary. But there is no magic way that beneficiaries actually find out that they are beneficiaries on uh, some kind of pay-on-death account. Okay, here's someone said, um, I'm researching my elderly parents' home. I, I notice, um, I researched public record and they recently had two transactions on their house, a reconveyance and a substitution of trustee. On the substitution of trustee, it shows that the new trustee of the home is the Los Angeles Housing Authority. How in the world did my parents' home have the housing authority as the new owner? Okay, a reconveyance is a document recorded by a lender showing that they have given back to the owner of the property the deed of trust that was recorded against the property to secure any loan made on the property. So it's technically a reconveyance of the deed of trust. That is evidence that the person has actually paid off a loan. The substitution of trustee means just that the original trustee on that deed of trust is no longer acting as such, and now there's a new one coming in. Parents probably had a loan from the Los Angeles Housing Authority, and now they're handling, reconveying, and, uh, and giving the property back. Okay, so we're coming up on the first break for the show today. When we come back, I'll cover more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, I'm looking here. I think I have, what, roughly a minute, 30? Okay, I've got 30 seconds. So when we come back after the break, I'll continue with more questions and comments. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and we'll continue after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And now I'm going to pull one out from San Diego. San Diego, question, how can a trustee access an account that is not a payable on death account? says, my dad passed away in May. It seems there's no beneficiary to his rather sizable checking account. The bank won't give me any information, even as the new trustee, as the account was not part of his trust. His will directs all accounts to be placed into that trust, but the bank will not help me at all. Okay, let's unpack this. Uh, this is a very common situation, I want to let you know. In fact, I do a lot of court work uh, called Hegstat Petitions, and if you've been listening for, for some time now, you know that I have talked about these. Uh, I'm doing a great number of those right now. I mean, I think I have had six or seven of, excuse me, six or seven of these petitions come into my office in the last week. Um, and um, And often it's because there are bank accounts that are quite large, or there's real estate that's not in a trust, or brokerage accounts, all kinds of different things could trigger the need for a Hegstat petition. If this person was talking with me, the first thing I'd ask them is, do you have any idea how much is in the account? Well, yes, I have a bank statement right here. How much is in there? 
Uh, it says there's $100,000 in there. Okay. Are there other assets of any kind that your father owned that when added to the uh, account balance in that checking account ends up being greater than $166,250. Why such a weird number? Because that's the amount of assets that someone can have in their name or payable to their estate, uh, and payable to their estate. That could be, for example, from life insurance or retirement plan that doesn't have a beneficiary named on it. Well, if it's less than that amount, then you can use what's called a small estate affidavit procedure to actually take over that account. And you don't have to go through probate or the probate court in any way. If, however, the total value is greater than $166,250, and that is not per asset, that's total value of all assets together. That could be $100,000 in a bank account, um, $75,000 in a brokerage account, and then another $32,000 in a certificate of deposit. Collectively, those are greater than the $166,250. When that happens, the approach, if you have a will that says, hey, turn it over to the trust, I'll tell you, quite frankly, the approach is to contact me because I do that kind of work for people all over the state of California. I have attorneys throughout California that regularly refer these matters to me because it takes a long time to get it done in their own county. Um, I do HEGSAT petitions up here in the Bay Area. I do them ex parte, meaning no formal hearing. You have to have certain conditions be met. Um, for example, all of the beneficiaries of a trust have to consent to the petition to get these assets into the trust. They all have to waive notice of any hearing. They all have to consent to having the the matter heard in the county where I go. And there can't be any other people that would be fighting about this. And there can't be any intestate heirs, people who would otherwise inherit if there was no will, uh, unless they also agree that... Um, the property can go into the trust. Um, to give you an example, um, my typical turnaround for something like this, from the time I'm first contacted to the time I get a court order that has everything outside of the trust turned over to the trust, typically about seven to ten days, and I've done it faster than that. My most recent success story, actually, I think is probably from just last week, where I was contacted by an attorney from Los Angeles who had filed one of these petitions, the Hegstat petition, in the Los Angeles probate court and was given a court hearing date in April of 2021. It was about nine months later when the hearing date was scheduled to have this matter heard. Uh, he could not go ex parte, meaning no formal hearing, in Los Angeles because they don't permit those types of petitions down there unless it's a, quote, emergency. And what my colleagues down in Southern California find out is nothing is ever an emergency in Los Angeles probate court. So he was looking and his clients were looking at waiting nine months in order to get this problem solved for the family. 
In the meantime, they had a hefty mortgage to pay. Taxes, insurance, maintenance on the property, uh, making sure, maybe even putting in a security system because the property was now sitting vacant. I talked with them on the phone, explained what I did. He got the information to me. I put the petition together, distributed it to everybody to sign through DocuSign. They got it back, and the next day I went up to the court, filed the petition, got the order from the judge, walked out, and overnighted it back to them. I was contacted on a Monday. They had an order in their hands by last Friday. Now, I consider that to be pretty darn good. Now, in the case of this person here out of San Diego, if, like I said, if the accounts are too much, this person's going to actually need to um, probably to go to court in some counties, they'll have to take that will and put it through the entire probate process, which could be nine months, 12 months, up to two years uh, to get to access to that checking account. Or if they know somebody or they know an attorney that knows who I am and what I can do, they can contact me and I can get it done for them probably within about a week. Okay, here's a situation out of Sacramento. Uh, My grandmother appointed me trustee of her trust. I am not a trust beneficiary. The trust was split 60-10-10-10-10. So that looks like there's five beneficiaries. One gets 60%, the other four each get 10%. Three of the beneficiaries totaling 80%, that's going to be the 60% one, and two of the 10% oneers, they want the house and want to pay the other two their each their 10% appraised value of the home. The two beneficiaries that they want to buy out won't agree unless they get all of the tangible personal property, mostly keepsakes of grandma. That would mean, you know, what we would call the knickknacks, the tchotchkes, the, the family heirlooms. There's a lot of different terms for it. Is this allowed? Well, of course it's allowed. Um, If everybody agrees in writing that that's what they want to do, it's allowed. But it sounds like the the two beneficiaries, they're kind of holding the other ones hostage right now. Uh, If they can't come to agreement, should the house be sold? I would say maybe so. Sold and the proceeds distributed because otherwise you've got people uh, who are going to be in a partnership on a property that they probably don't want to be. So, we're coming up on the second break of the show today. When we return, we'll do more questions and comments. Till then, this is State Planning Attorney Bob Bergman, and I will talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the second half of our show today. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the uh, the state of California. Uh, if you'd like, you can call in 800-516-1220. My operator, Vince, will be standing by. He'll let me know if you call in and you want to chat on the air. Okay, so here... Oh, this is this is kind of a tricky one here out of Los Angeles. How can I retitle my property that lists myself and my deceased wife 
as co-trustees on a trust I cannot locate. Okay, my wife and I had a revocable trust, and my and she and I are listed as co-trustees of this trust on the grant deed to our home. I have a new trust, and I would like to retitle the property to my new trust. Can I retitle without the original trust? It's actually um, a simple question, but it may be a pretty complicated answer. <clears throat> now, the first thing this person can do is he can file an affidavit of death of trustee on the property that he owned with his wife in that uh, original trust. That will clear the title of the property into his name as the uh, trustee of that trust. Um, but he can't find the trust document. Now, if he if he was going to go ahead and transfer the property out of that original trust to himself individually and then transfer it into the new trust, he's probably going to find that the assessor's office um, in, in, this, in Los Angeles County, they're going to want to see a copy of that original trust to make sure that he has the authority to transfer the property out of that trust to himself as as the um, uh, individually so he can turn around and put it into a new trust that he's created. So that poses somewhat of a problem. The conservative thing to do would be to uh, to actually go to court to try to recreate the trust that's missing. Um, if he does now, if this person has a photocopy of the trust or a scanned copy of the trust and can print that out, then he's good. If he's talking about, I can't find the original, that's okay. A copy would still work. Um, I would tell this person, if if you had an attorney prepare it for you, see if you can go back to the attorney, see if they have a copy of it that they kept in their files. Um did you give a copy to any financial institution that requested a copy? Do that first. But this is potentially the problem this person is facing is that the uh, assessor's office in Los Angeles County is likely going to require a copy of the trust to review to make sure that uh, the trust, for example, doesn't provide that <clears throat> that half of the property actually goes into an irrevocable trust because his wife has passed away. Those are the AB or ABC type trusts I've talked about in the past that actually require property to be divided between a surviving spouse and a deceased spouse's share that typically goes into a trust for the benefit of the surviving spouse, but that trust is irrevocable. Um, now, if... <laughs> So this is a tough question this person's facing. I know it is possible to go to court to reconstruct the lost trust. That would be done under probate code section 17200. I, I have one of those pending right now in a court to uh, reconstruct a trust where um, all of the parties are involved. He might be able to do something like this, this as well. <clears throat> but if he's doing a new trust that's leaving people out that were in the old trust, he'd have a very hard time convincing them to go along with the program. So this is kind of a tough situation there, but that's what the issues are.
Okay, uh, my brother's the trustee in charge of administering our parents' trust, and um, and in order to distribute the money to me, he is wants me to sign a hold harmless agreement and state that I accept the amount distributed to me even if I don't. And he's threatening to withhold my share until I sign off. He says that his lawyer told him to do this. It doesn't seem right. Well, I'll tell you, this person out of San Diego, um, your brother is likely lying like a rug. Uh, any attorney that would advise the trustee of a trust in administration to uh, that you would threaten to withhold the share if someone doesn't sign off and hold harmless the trustee and accept the amount distributed even if you don't. Um, first of all, you cannot make a condition of distribution from a trust that someone sign a release. Uh, the release you as the trustee. Um, they, uh, if you're concerned about someone coming back and suing you as a trustee later on, you can always go to court, petition the court to have your distribution plan approved by the court, and then the beneficiaries, if they have an issue or have a problem, they have to show up in court and complain to the judge about it, and and, and then you get it resolved in court. If they don't show up, then the court can approve the distribution plan you can distribute, and then the beneficiary can't come back later and sue you successfully because they had a chance to complain in court and they chose not to. Now, that's kind of an extreme thing to do uh, because it does involve extra, extra expense for the estate. But if you have beneficiaries that might be difficult, um, then that may be a way to protect you as the trustee. In this case... I would tell this person, your brother has no right to demand that you sign a hold harmless agreement in order to receive your uh, the distribution from the trust. He can't do that. That's not permitted in California. Okay, um, let's see. We've got here, uh, that, that one's a little too complex to do on the air here. Mm, that one kind of too. All right, here, how to deal with a family trust, a house property after divorce. Okay, so my parents contributed two-thirds of the down payment for our current house. In 2018, my husband and I built up a family trust for our son. Now he is, now he is the one responsible for the monthly mortgage, so I guess the son is now paying the mortgage. I'm wondering, if we're going to divorce, how would we deal with the trust and separate the property? Well, first of all, that's more properly a family law question. But essentially, there's a lot of things in there. Was the contribution by the parents a gift, or was it intended to be uh, paid back if the property sold later on? Uh, is it memorialized in any way in writing? Um this right here, I, I would kind of suggest, you know what, don't plan on getting divorced because trying to unravel this uh, could end up costing a lot of money just to try and figure out what can be done. So in a case like that, that's kind of what I would say. Okay, uh, my mom did a quitclaim deed um, back in 2017 and added her boyfriend 
to the title. She didn't have a will, and her boyfriend wants to sell her home. On the deed, it says he's a tenant in common, and something about intra-family transfer and dissolution. I'm not sure what that would be on a deed, um, but a tenant in common, that means she owns whatever interest is reflected on the title, typically 50%, if it's in there with one other person, and he owns the other 15%. Now, this person said she was very sick when she did this. I believe she was easily influenced in, in, in designing and because her comprehension and mental state wasn't always the best. On the deed, it says, states her name and his, says tenants in common, seller's name, says my mother's name, and then it says intra-family transfer or dissolution. Well, first of all, there would be no intra-family transfer or dissolution if she added her name, her boyfriend's name. He has no legal relationship to her. So, question is, is he the property owner and is he entitled to sell her home? Wouldn't my sisters and I be her heirs and her estate belongs to us? Also, when she filled out the quit claim deed, she used her cousin who's a real estate professional. Okay, here's the deal. <clears throat> if she has now died, um, the question is, um, yeah, she died. She died back in 2019. He owns half the property. The mother's heirs, because there's no will, heirs under the law, own the other half. There needs to be a probate of her interest in that property. Uh, he can't sell the property on his own because he only owns half of it. The other half is owned by the mother's estate. So <laughs> so don't worry about him being able to sell it. He can only sell half of it. No one's going to buy half the property. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. Uh, when I come back, I will cover a few more questions and comments and then wrap it up for the day. Uh, by the way, if you heard the ad earlier for Eric Heckman, Heckman Financial, great guy, personal friend of mine. If you need financial advice, he's the one to go to. He's down here in San Jose, and I encourage you to take him up on his offer in the ad or look up Heckman Financial. So... <clears throat> be coming back in um, after the break. We've got about 25, 30 seconds left to go here. But I just want to let you know, um, if you hadn't heard at the beginning of the show, I will not be broadcasting live next Friday. I'll be down in San Diego on a brief vacation with my family. So we'll come back after the break to continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. One last chance to call in today, 800-516-1220. Barring anybody calling in, I will forge ahead with more questions and comments from around this great state of California. Here's one out of West Hills, California. I think that's in Southern California, I'm pretty sure. You know, uh, if you know where it's at, just, you know, shoot me a quick email. You can kind of let me know that. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's in Southern California. Can't tell you which county. And the person indicates uh, they are the sole surviving successor trustee of uh, the father's revocable trust. There's still some items of property that need to be disposed of. My concern is I'm getting up in age and not in the best of health. 
like to make sure that someone can take charge of the trust in case something should happen to me before the trust is finally settled. There's three main beneficiaries of the trust. It's to be divided three ways, one-third to me or my heirs, one-third each to the children of my two deceased brothers. So is there any way the instructions of my father's trust can continue to be carried out if something should happen to me? Uh, for example, could I designate a continuing successor trustee? Could I designate someone to inherit my trusteeship and my will? The answer to that question is no. Could I have all the current beneficiaries sign an agreement as to who should take over trusteeship should I be taken out of the picture? I'm hoping there's some legal method to solve this problem. Well, the first thing is check the trust agreement itself and see if it has any kind of mechanism set forth in there for successor trustees to be appointed by the beneficiaries, for example, um, or if beneficiaries are minors, uh, by the guardians of those minors, typically their parent or parents. Um, see if the trustee is given the ability to appoint a successor. That's something I often have in the estate plans that I prepare, where a trustee can appoint their own successor. The reasoning being that if you trust a person enough for them to be a trustee, you would trust them enough to appoint a successor to yourself. I uh, typically require that any trustee appointed in, appointed in that way be a professional trustee, uh, a licensed individual fiduciary, an attorney, or a uh, CPA, or a bank or trust company. That way we know that um, someone's not going to step down as the trustee and appoint their best friend Joe, or this person they met walking uh, across the street or at Starbucks that morning. So th that would be the first thing. In the absence of that, the uh, the family could go to court to modify the existing trust to give those kinds of authorities that I just outlined in there to actually add in provisions um, to appoint successor trustee. I'm actually talking with a family right now where they realize that the only trustee that's named is the surviving mother and there are no successor trustees named after her, uh, or actually there was one, but that person is deceased, and the family is looking at a real mess if they don't get that cleaned up now. So we're probably going to go to court for the purpose of putting in provisions so that they don't have to uh, go to court later in an emergency situation, and they have uh, the ability to actually put trustees in charge of things going forward. Okay, here, uh, I'm the beneficiary of a living trust and I was given a house. The house is vacant and title has not been transferred to me yet. The trustees want to deduct property taxes and maintenance fees they paid so far from the initial cash, cash distribution. The trust states the uh, trustees are responsible for any debts and expenses with respect to any property in the estate. Should the estate incur these fees or me? Well, it's an excellent question. I mean, the um, I don't know that there's a clear-cut answer on that. If, if the house was left to you, but they haven't transferred the title yet, I think that the, the trust still is responsible for taxes and maintenance and 
<clears throat> and everything else um, until it's distributed out to the beneficiary. Um, but a good argument could be made that if they're spending money on a property that's going to a beneficiary, then that should be deducted from the beneficiary's cash that they would otherwise receive. Maybe not the full amount, because um, it, it probably is more pro rata because, well, I'm, I'm not going to go down that path. Let's just say that um, I think probably the, the trust has to pay for that. But an argument could be made the other way, that the beneficiary should pay for that because they now actually um, own the property under the terms of the trust, even though it hasn't been transferred out yet. Uh, let's see. We just have a couple minutes left today. So I think I'm just going to uh, kind of talk in general terms. During this time, with um, with many places shut down or open at a, and limiting, I, I want to let you all know out there that I am open for business. I am trying to do most business uh, either on the telephone or through Zoom-type meetings. Um, I can have people come to my physical office. I want to let you all know out there that um, as of August 1, which is tomorrow, I will no longer be doing or taking in any new probate or trust administration business. Um, I will only be doing that for my existing clients uh, and maybe referrals from my existing clients because my uh, workload with the petition work is, has gotten so large that I can't really take on those types of matters anymore. So if you are thinking of doing that, uh, contact me today. Otherwise, after tomorrow, um, I won't be doing that anymore. I'm leaving that aspect of the estate planning business behind. So, I've had a good time today. I hope you've learned some things. I hope you'll keep coming back and let other people know. Uh, this show will be pot, will be rebroadcast on Tuesday at 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. And you can always go to the podcast at kdow.biz. So, I'll talk with you in a couple of weeks. Attorney Bob you've been listening Bergman. to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.